Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's January 4th, 2010. And another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by... Aria, Rebecca, and Ali. The Retrospectors. Just before the pandemic hit, I stopped off in Dubai on a trip back to Australia, and it was actually the first time I've ever got out there. And at my hotel room, I was shown some aerial photos of the city in the 1970s. And honestly, back then, it was pretty much just desert with a few scattered buildings, which makes it all the more astonishing that just 50 years later, Dubai now boasts a skyline adorned with record-breaking skyscrapers, the most mighty among which is the tallest building in the world by quite some margin, the Burj Khalifa, which held its glittering grand opening today in history in 2010. And it began with lavish celebrations. The opening ceremony included the launch of 10,000 fireworks, which is too many fireworks. (laughs) It is so many fireworks, actually, that the whole building is, like, engulfed in smoke and you can't see it anymore. But also, like, if there were actually 6,000 fireworks, who could tell? (laughs) Just tell them. (laughs) Once you get beyond, say, 750 fireworks, it's however many fireworks you tell me it is. I mean, I think it's it's very representative of the fluctuating fortunes of Dubai that just a month before this opening ceremony, the city had come perilously close to bankruptcy. Yes. Uh, in fact, on this day in history, the building was named the Burj Khalifa, as well as being opened. And that was in honour of Sheikh Khalifa, the Emir of Abu Dhabi, because he had had to intervene to give Dubai a $10 billion loan to help head off the country's imminent financial collapse because they'd spent money on vanities like this. So it's a highly symbolic day. Like, you know, it's, it's both the optimism for the Arab world to compete with China and America. Look at this tall thing we can build. We're just as good as everyone else. But also just incredible hubris. I mean, it is literally yeah. built on sand. And, the, and amid all of that pageantry of like sword dancing and parachuters coming in and balloons being released and fountains lighting up, you do have this moment where Sheikh Khalifa is led by the hand to unveil the plaque. I guess because everyone's there going, this just would not have happened had you not come and rescued our asses. <laughs> yeah. Did, so, did someone hastily tip X out? Because it was going to be called yeah. uh, Burj Dubai, which means Dubai Tower. It was such a painful renaming as well, because it was going to be the centrepiece of the new downtown district, which itself was supposed to be a symbol of Dubai's departure from this oil-centred <laughs> economy. So yeah. to have it being renamed in order of the guy who'd had to bail it out, it seems like <laughs> yeah. it must have been... And they really left it to the last minute to announce as well. I mean, they must have known, you know, they were using his money, so they must have known much earlier that that's what they were going to have to rename it. But the contemporary press report of the opening ceremony kind of mentioned that you know they almost sound kind of baffled they're like oh and also it apparently yeah. has a new <laughs> I name mean, there are so many things that weren't mentioned until the last minute almost surprisingly including the building's height and i guess i understand that in the context of the bizarre world of competitive tallest 
building construction. Um, but right up until the last minute, they didn't actually announce that. And there were stories circulating about the Indian on top of the world, which speculated that the guy who operated the sort of highest bit of the highest crane was this Indian guy who is both paid a king's ransom and then also granted honorary citizenship of the UAE. But actually, that was just a sort of mask of a story to hide the fact that this whole business of how the building was going up at the very top was kind of shrouded in mystery. So I feel someone needs to reel off the stats, so I'm going to do it, right? <laughs> it's 828 metres tall, that's 2,715 feet, that's just over half a mile, 160 storeys tall. But when you realise that the top few storeys are uninhabited spike, yeah. you know, a bit like the shards. It's actually not that much taller than Shanghai Tower when you look at it. When you look at what's the tallest inhabited floor, it's not as impressive as you think it might be when you just look at the statistics. So I think that's why they fudged it. Yeah, that's 244 metres of unusable space in the spire. The spire yeah. is so huge that on its own, it would be one of the tallest buildings <laughs> in Europe. It's a standalone I was wondering, how would you go about making the spire? I mean, it's not like there's a crane that's going to be tall enough to pop it on the top. So mm. apparently they constructed it inside the tower and it was hoisted up using a hydraulic pump so that it would sit on the top. A lot of people in the architecture industry do feel like big spires <laughs> are cheating. Without the spire, the Burj Khalifa would be 585 metres tall, which would still make it the sixth tallest building in the world. But this did get me thinking, how important is being tall really? Like You're asking too tall, yeah. man. We're going to say very. It matters from Sorry. up here. <laughs> Look, if you're not 585 metres tall, I'm not interested. Um, but if you look at the list of the 10 tallest buildings in the world, you'd know maybe three of them. Like, mm. if you're not the tallest... Why even bother? But at the top of the building, like the top most occupied level, apparently receives sunshine a good two minutes later than a person down at ground level. So during Ramadan, people have to, like if you're living at the top level, you have to end your fast later than were you on the ground. Oh, that's brilliant. So if you've got a pasty in hand yeah. on the ground floor <laughs> and you can quickly hop to the elevator, you can finish it <laughs> before sunset. I mean, and this is useful information if you're a member of the world's highest mosque, which is on floor 158. Yeah, world's highest mosque, highest swimming pool, tallest service elevator, highest outdoor observation deck, although that's been Trump since, highest vertical concrete pumping during construction, and location of the world's first Armani hotel. And the obvious record it broke, obviously, was that it became the tallest building in the world, surpassing the Taipei 101 and the Sears Tower, but it also became the tallest structure in the world, beating... The KVLY TV mast in Blanchard, North Dakota. Just while we're doing stats, I just want to do one last weird one, which is that the foundations, I thought, okay, the foundations are going to be incredibly deep, obviously, to support this massive building. But the mat is just 3.7 metres thick. I was mm. like, that just probably just highlights the fact that I really don't understand anything about engineering. <laughs> the reason that it doesn't sink into the sand is because that mat is essentially like a giant snowshoe. So it, it, it uh... takes the weight and balances it across all three pillars. But then also underneath is an incredible amount of friction. So there's 194 concrete shafts underneath that, which is all that's preventing it from toppling over. Like there's nothing in the structure of the building that is stopping it from toppling over. Although... What is really clever as well is the shape of the floor plate then constantly changes as it goes up. So the reason it has that odd shape, the reason it's not just a straight tower, is because 
big towers have a problem with wind. Mm. Like they get hit by whirlpools and vectors of wind. <laughs> so what the architects did is kind of um, confuse the wind, basically, by creating different surfaces and shapes. So when the wind hits the building, it's only ever for 20 or 30 stories at a time, and then the, the shape changes again, so you can't push it. Which, by the way, makes it significantly more visually interesting. I mean, were it just a single line, it just wouldn't do aesthetically what it does, given that kind of stepping in that goes on. Yeah, and apparently the spiral shapes are also supposed to reflect a feature of traditional Islamic architecture. Although I feel like when you're building a tower like this, it's like t- you're not really harking to traditional anything. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's not made with sustainable materials. It's glass, steel and concrete. It has no economic use. Uh, I mean, it's still 30% empty, this building. It was just this enormous statement of money really and then of course the other thing that was kind of reported in the places you'd expect like the guardian at the time has increasingly become part of the conversation is how the immigrant laborers who mostly built the thing were treated Mm. and the answer to that is badly um or at least you know round the clock and with not the kind of um unionized support that you might expect if they were building it in europe yeah, I mean, you'll often see the statistics about the construction that it took 110,000 tons of concrete, 55,000 tons of steel. But the other statistic is that it took 22 million hours of labor to construct, mm. mostly by an army of 12,000 workers, most of them, as you say, South Asians. Officially, there were only three deaths during the construction, but some sources suggest that there were actually hundreds. Especially considering that the Shard in London uh, involved four deaths. Five people died officially in the construction of the Empire State Building. 60 people died in the building of the World Trade Center. It does feel as though if you're not a place that's reputed for treating your workers terribly well, probably more people died during the construction of that than they have let on about. And yet, extraordinarily, despite all those labor hours, it doesn't have a working sewage system. It's still, at the time of recording, not hooked up to Dubai's wastewater system. What? Just chuck it out the the window. (laughs) (laughs) So every day there's this enormous flotilla of poo trucks, basically, that come and pick it up in Congo. Wow. That's amazing. And ship it out. There's so many considerations that immediately present themselves when you're trying to build a, a building that's this absurdly large. One of the other ones that I was interested in was the fact that, like, fire safety wise, if you don't want to put people in elevators and there's a fire near mm. the top, how do you get them out? So what they've done is they've created these pressurized air-conditioned refuge areas that are located around every 25 floors throughout the building. So if there's a fire, you just have to go and sit in one of these things and wait, which I must say I would be feeling absolutely <laughs> like panicked about if I just had to see it and hope that the building didn't fall over. Is there an Amani refuge area? <laughs> That's the one to be in, definitely. <laughs> Coated in gold leaf. Good air conditioning, you'd be fine. Tomorrow. And I'm not saying she had a drab small town life, but she was literally working as a diner waitress in a town called Cement City. Ditch the ads and get a Sunday episode when you join Club Retrospectors. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts. Part of the ACAS Creator Network.